So it's really about marrying IT and OT together and allowing people to participate in full implementations of IoT without having to understand what the other pieces are. And more importantly, giving them a process in place where they understand exactly uh, what portion they're contributing and how they monetize that. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, this is Tim Cole. I'm editor-in-chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. The world of IoT is changing fast, and the number of vendors and solutions are legion. Finding the right supplier can be tricky, says Lou Lutostansky. Lou joined Avnet, a leading global distributor of electronic components and services, and incidentally, the sponsor of this podcast, in 1987. In 2017, he became Vice President, Internet of Things at Avnet, and in 2019, he was named IIoT Leader of the Year at Industrial IoT World. So obviously, Lou, you have tons of IoT experience under your belt, right? I think so, Tim. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And yes, I've uh, dabbled in IoT for several years now. Why should someone look to a distributor like Avnet for information about IoT? Really because Internet of Things deals with connecting devices or things to the Internet. and in order to do that, you have to make the things. And traditionally, they're made from an electronics perspective. So there are components that go into uh, the things that, that require uh, working with distribution to get technical advice on. Specifically, a lot of things need to be connected wirelessly or wired. And so there are a lot of technologies, uh, new technologies like LoRaWAN, SigFox, and narrowband IoT that have uh, chips that need to be discussed and talked about and optimized. So that's why they would talk to a distributor about IoT. It's some, it seems to me that um, every time someone does a new IoT project, they reinvent the wheel. Is that really necessary? Uh, the answer is no, it's not necessary. However, there's no one cookie cutter approach for every customer. Even if they have the identical application, it requires some level of modification because of the complexity of the systems in the different environments. But to answer your question, no, they should not have to recreate the wheel every time. And um, does Avnet actually deal in solutions and not just in components? We do deal in solutions, but we actually uh, enable solutions of third parties. So people use our IoT Connect platform and the devices that are connected to them to write their applications. And the intention is to roll out a, in uh, next year, 2021, in January, uh, a marketplace where those can be advertised on our forum and people can pick and choose applications that they want to develop there. Talking about picking and choosing, at last count, there were over 600 IoT platforms out there. How do you go about choosing the right one? Well, if you're a customer, it's very, very difficult to do so. And I would say to you this way, you're probably talking on an IBM PC today or a Mac uh, PC, and it's probably got one operating system or the other. Uh, if there were 750 
uh, different operating systems or 600 different operating systems out there, you probably wouldn't have the level of uh, quality in the hardware and the software application that you have. And that's really the dilemma is every operating system that you choose has its own ecosystem of applications and devices that connect to it and they're not interchangeable. So uh, it's, it's very, very challenging to do so. Talking about ecosystems, you're on record as having described the ecosystem mass confusion. How should customers select an ecosystem? So it kind of goes hat in hand with the previous question that you asked. The ecosystem is out of control, 600. It's now up to 750, I heard from somebody the other day. And how do you, how do you pick the one that's going to be there forever and that people are going to continue to build on in the future? That's the question. What we're trying to do at Abnet is create an ecosystem around our platform that's based on Microsoft Azure. And, and have all of our silicon suppliers and all of our customers use that platform so that now the application developers can write one application, they can write their applications to our IoT Connect platform and have access to all of these multiple devices. And until you start getting people easily added to a platform, there's not going to be any particular one to, to choose. Avnet is deeply involved with Microsoft and their IoT offering, especially around Asia, as you said. Um, how do you see this partnership moving forward? And what about your own offering, IoT Connect, which leverages Microsoft's Azure hybrid cloud computing service? Sure. So there are multiple cloud uh, partners out there, and there are many cloud companies, actually, but the two dominant ones seem to be uh, Microsoft and Amazon Web Services. And, and what these folks are doing in the IoT world is trying to build services that work on IoT devices to make their clouds a little bit more sticky. And, you know, for us to use multiple clouds, we would have to have much more maintenance on many more different platforms. So trying to isolate the one and put all of our time and, and effort into that one, we chose, we selected Microsoft because we're already a Microsoft distributor. We have been selling their licenses for years. And we see them very, very active in the enterprise space, which are the customers that our OEMs are trying to reach. So we chose them and we use their microservices so that we don't have to build and maintain our own. So again, they make the basic building blocks, we use their building blocks and we partner with them to go to customers together. Tell me more about IoT Connect. That seems to be the kind of solution that Avnet brings to the table, which seems to be an interesting approach, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's, it's a platform. And if you take a look at any of these platforms, what they do is they, they connect the IT world, that's you know information technology, to the OT world, which are devices. And they have to connect through some platform, and that would be IoT Connect. And so what we did, again, is we built on top of Microsoft Azure IoT Suite, we used a lot of their services combined with some of our services to build a platform. We're trying to create a great ecosystem of semiconductor suppliers, uh, sensor manufacturers, and in turn, end customers, our traditional customers to build devices to create an easy on-ramp for people that want to write applications without having to understand what goes on below the cloud in the OT world. So it's really about marrying IT and OT together and allowing people to participate in full implementations of IoT without having to understand what the other pieces are. And more importantly, giving them a process in place 
where they understand exactly uh, what portion they're contributing and how they monetize that. Sounds kind of like uh, plug and play IoT. Is that right? You can you can say uh, it is it's very similar to that. That's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to make IoT uh, you know easy, fast, and secure. And so that goes along with the easy piece. You advise bringing order to IoT. What do you mean by that? So if you take a look at any particular technology, sometimes there's standards that form around that that make it very clear to people who are going to participate how to develop their equipment. In IoT, it's not a market segment. It covers every market segment. Uh, it's completely horizontal. And therefore, you know, attaching devices to different platforms and applications and applying AI, there are no rules. And, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an ecosystem where we actually define the rules for everybody to connect so that they, they know how to get on our system, whether they be a device manufacturer, or an application developer, or an SI that wants to go deploy those solutions. So again, it's taking all the chaos of all the different platforms and all the different ways you connect all the platforms and all the different specifications and creating one very clear roadmap on our platform about how all of this comes together. You said security is critical, but are IoT solution providers really addressing the security problem in an adequate fashion? Uh, no, they are not, is the very simple answer. And, you know, that's really what separates, that's, that's one of the problems with scaling, is you find some of your larger customers are not going to scale, and even some of your smaller, unless they can prove that it's secure. IT directors are very, uh, you know, very nervous about connecting devices that is really out of their world to their infrastructure without understanding that there's a security solution there. And not enough people, you know, approach security. It's a very complicated, um, you know, a very complicated uh, technology that needs to be integrated across multiple platforms. So at Avnet, we're trying to build security into IoT Connect. So it's as easy as checking the box and ordering fries with your burger. Are we not essentially repeating the mistake we did in the early days of computing, where security was kind of an add-on, an afterthought? I, I think the answer is, up until now, absolutely. And, you know, what you've said is, couldn't be more true, Tim. I mean, you have to build a security strategy into the platform from the beginning. You can't add security after the fact. And if you do a big deployment that doesn't include security and you get hacked, the only way to protect yourself from future hacks is to start from scratch. And what we're trying to do is build security into our platform so that people that come on board have the option of using security today or growing into security over time. How do you scale IoT? In order to scale IoT, you have to have a limited number of IoT platforms. You can't have 600, you can't have 750, you've got to have a couple. And once you get down to a few number of operating systems or, or, or platforms where device manufacturers and application developers can write once and, and reach the masses, then you've also got to ensure that you have security because you cannot scale without security. Once your, your IoT implementation reaches critical mass and is large enough to be interesting to hackers, that's when you're going to find your, your attack. So it's about reducing the number 
of platforms, creating ecosystems around that limited number, and making sure that your your uh, platform uh, addresses security. How does the COVID pandemic accelerate IoT? So I think there are two answers to that question. One is most people are working from home now. And so we're finding out they're much more efficient and they have much more time to think. So people that were running around doing a lot of tactical things now have more time to think long term. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is there's a whole new generation of applications that have been spawned for contact tracing, pre-screening, medical monitoring, and things like that that have an urgency about them, which has spawned a whole new application uh, category, if you will, on COVID. So I think the combination of time to think and the desperate need to come out with applications that address the pandemic have accelerated IoT. Yes, thanks, Lou Lutostansky, Vice President, Internet of Things at Avnet, for sharing your insights with us, and stay healthy. Thank you, Tim. You do the same. We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. If you need an industrial IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. With more and more data flying around these days, speed is again an issue. Even delays of microseconds can have serious consequences and limit performance and profitability. Edge computing promises blazing fast reaction time by bringing data collection, processing, and reporting as close to the end user as possible. Cartesium, a French startup founded in 2016, is at the cutting edge of these developments. And joining us today is co-founder and managing director, Marc Dupacquier. Hi, Marc. Hello. Good morning. Tell me, Marc, back when you started Cartesium, you believed that most projections for the Internet of Things market at the time were wildly optimistic and misguided. Have you changed your mind since? Um, I would say yes and no. Uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, what we, what we said uh, four years ago uh, was optimistic, mostly because, um, you know, for a technology to be adopted massively, you need to have the right confluence of uh, value delivered versus cost. And the initial approach of having everything in a cloud for everything to be processed in a cloud was certainly probably not affordable for many solutions. Now, we see that while it has uh, stalled for, uh, for a few years because of this cost, we see now with Edge, uh, especially arriving, we see uh, finally IoT taking off and many new projects emerging very, very quickly. 
So you used to believe that cloud would not be economically viable. That has changed. Um, well, no. What I'm saying is in that uh, you can do it without less cloud or with less cloud. You know, if you think about it, in IoT, and you take, uh, I would take IoT extensively, meaning industry as well as appliances, uh, cars, everything, you will have billions of sensors in a house, tens of them, probably more than that, in a factory, thousands, at every corner of every street, uh, you know, many, uh, between CCTV, uh, sensors monitoring utilities, uh, sensors monitoring traffic and all that. And, and if you just make the math, uh, the simple math of uh, having all these sensors, um, billions of them, capturing data, sending all this raw data, uh, which is between the type of sensor of gigabyte to terabytes of data, into a cloud to be processed, you get very quickly to petabytes, if not zettabytes of data, which if you are a cloud vendor, you love it because obviously, you know, you multiply zettabytes of data by your price per gigabyte, that is billions or hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue, but simply it doesn't happen because it's too expensive. And not only too expensive, I can tell you that the North Pole will be melting even faster for the compute cost. So instead, you know, IoT, in order to take off there, had to have solutions where a lot of the handling, a lot of the treatment will happen at the edge, uh, which also, by the way, is far more secure. And only significant data will eventually be sent back into a cloud to be analyzed and processed. What is the point of sending data about uh, your refrigerator if it's working well? You know, it's working well, period. You just say it's working well. You don't need to send the data of it working well all the time. So that's exactly what we see emerging now. Intelligence at the edge, which is making IoT more affordable. We have more data than ever before, but I remember back in the days when we used to say, you know, garbage in, garbage out. We need to make sense of the data, which calls for artificial intelligence, which also you think will move to the edge. There are studies that indicate that that is happening, but uh, also that the number of real-life use cases are still rare. When will edge AI finally take off? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's taking off. I think that what's happening with AI is uh, it has been over promoted by many AI vendors, and um, you know AI is not about to make or build superhumans. You know, the idea that AI will transform and make a replace the human being on everything that they do, while well, some people may find it exciting, some others scary, is really not what AI is about. AI is about making things slightly better. If I look at the kind of AI we're doing, you know, it's 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 not very impressive, but it's very useful. Understand if a boiler may break before it breaks. You know, we have clients here in Germany, for example, monitoring uh, pumps into water sanitation plants. It's very difficult to go. It can be very cold in winter. You don't want to send a human being in these pools. So, But you want to know if the pump may have signs of failure before it happens, because if it happens, you have a problem. You want to understand that your footsteps are a bit out of patterns, indicating either you are about to fall if you are an elderly person or indicating a potential intoxication. And all that is a kind of AI you can do. And, um, and I think I see it emerging very quickly now, especially because now you can compute at the edge and make it uh, faster and easier to understand directly into the device. Your company originally specialized in predictive maintenance in manufacturing, but recently you have broadened your focus to include predictive maintenance for home appliances. Tell me more about that. 
Yeah, it's actually uh it's a it's a very exciting thing. You know, we when we when we founded the company initially, um our focus was really to to provide AI for uh, predictive maintenance. Our first clients uh had uh, exactly as I was talking about uh very large uh, installation we would be monitoring uh, gigantic um power generators, uh, we are monitoring industrial pumps, uh, machines, grinders, things like that. But frankly, when you can do this, you can do many other things. You know, if I understand vibration patterns, I can do it for other use cases. If I understand sound, if I understand ultrasound, if I understand electricity consumption, I can do it for something else. If I can monitor battery in a very large uh, thing, I can do it for smaller uh, for smaller devices or uh, or even you know phones or things like that so when um, we were approached by a number of these appliances people saying can you do it and initially we did not approach them because that's a very different market but we said yes we actually can do it and um, not only we can do it we found that we are a perfect fit because we uh, deliver a very, very small footprint algorithm. And uh, when you go into home appliances, very often you need very small footprint uh, algorithm because you will end up with very inexpensive devices, can't afford uh, expensive things. You, uh, you, It will be uh, very, very, very absurd to, uh, for example, connect your uh, vacuum cleaner to a cloud to know if the bag is full. You know, no one would do it. Well, I, no one with a brain, I believe. But you want uh, the vacuum cleaner to know and tell you. Or more interesting, you know, you want your, if you have a robot vacuum cleaner, um, you uh, want to know if, it, uh, if it's about to vacuum a poop, a dog poop. Because if it does, it's a real mess. And uh, you don't want to have the time to connect to a cloud, uh, calculate in a cloud and tell you back because it's too late and you have to change your vacuum cleaner. I can just see Dyson offering a cloud vacuum cleaner. Well, I don't know. It's uh, I don't believe they would. I believe they are very, very successful people. I believe they um, they understand what makes sense to their clients. I, I believe people like Dyson will have intelligence in their vacuum cleaner for sure in the future. Cartesian relies on a low-cost local computing platform using microcontroller units or MCUs, which range in cost from a few cents to a few dollars per board. But do these have the horsepower that companies need to perform edge AI? They actually do. It's, um, it's actually everything about Cartesium is about that. When, uh, uh, when, when we founded the company back in 2016, we said we want to be able to compute on this very, very small hardware. Now, nothing was available to do it. So we had to redo it. Most of our uh, technology most of our IP, our number of patents are really about how do I build a neural network in a $2 computer? Obviously, you don't do it the way you do it on, uh, on GPUs because it will never work. You cannot parallelize or many things you cannot do, but you still can do it. We won't be able to recognize vision or things like that or process voice, but there are many things you can do. And um, so, so we actually can, um, uh, and that's one thing. And, but interestingly, um, the number one constraint uh, is not power of the MCU itself. It's, uh, it's a memory, it's a RAM. The most scarce resource is a RAM. And, uh, and so therefore, your library, which is where your algorithm is being calculated, has to be very small. Um, most of our clients tell us we have only eight kilobytes to give you. Can you fit into it? If you use any kind of other developed in the cloud model that you try, you try to reduce, you go into 60 kilobytes and then you won't fit. So most of our algorithms are less than eight kilobytes, some are less than one kilobyte, and that's really what matters. 
And for the compute, you know, it's interesting to know, uh, you actually need more compute cycles and therefore more power to send data through a network if you do all the compute in a cloud than to analyze your data into the device. So you had by far enough uh, power. As a matter of fact, for some sensors, uh, we extend the battery life when they calculate at the edge versus when they have to send the data all the time into a cloud to be analyzed into a cloud. Would it be fair to call you the Raspberry Pi of uh, artificial intelligence? Uh, well, I don't know about this. We actually run on much smaller than Raspberry Pi. You know, it's uh, we have some clients approaching us with Raspberry Pis, and uh, and they are um, they are really uh, very 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 uh, big for us. But you know, it's uh, I think it's uh, we are the way the analogy I like taking from time to time is um, to me for IoT. Cloud is, uh, what is cloud now in the old times, 30 years ago for traditional computing was mainframes. What we are, when you combine MCUs with technology like Cartesia, I mean, we are the PCs. We are to this IoT industry, uh, the PC, um, or the, what the PC used to be to the computer industry. Uh, because, and like in the traditional industry or IT industry, when people say it doesn't make any sense to do everything on my mainframe, I need to have local power and capabilities. The same thing happens now with um, us, you know, where people say, okay, I don't need to send everything in the cloud, way too expensive. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And I will do it into my sensor with, with the right software. So we are, maybe we are the Microsoft of IoT rather than the Raspberry Pi of IoT. Yeah, well, maybe you will actually be the mobile computer generation of AI. Uh, I heard that you are thinking of extending into wearables, but aren't the analytics capabilities of many mainstream wearable devices too limited? Oh, actually they are not. What is, you have plenty of compute capabilities in most wearables today. Uh, what is fascinating, it's barely used. And, and the reason why it's barely used is because their makers have largely used wearables to capture data and I've relied on cloud or phones to analyze this data. They have done this largely because the economics of many of these wearables is to sell subscription. And so they got into this traditional mode. However, you know, I believe we will see new vendors emerging. We're working with some who are bringing more intelligence in the device. You know, you don't want your device to not be able to tell you how fast you've been running because the cloud is down, like what happened to some big name not so long ago. You want your device to be able to understand without any connection, to adapt to their owners. Your steps are not my steps. Your steps have a pattern. The device can be or must be able to understand if you are on pattern or off pattern and tell you. Uh, you know, that can identify anomalies. You can identify threats. So many, many use cases there. and. Uh, you want to understand what sport you are doing with more accuracy. All that is doable with the compute capabilities you have in most wearables today. Mark, unfortunately, our time is coming to an end, but I have one more question I'd like to pose to you. You have recently been partnering with chip makers like ST Microelectronics. Do you have any other deals in the pipeline that you can talk with us about? Oh, of course. Uh, first, you're right that ST Micro. Is a great partner of us. Um, we work together to optimize our software for the hardware. Uh, we're also building probably future generation of AGI together, uh, which probably will be an opportunity for us to come back jointly and to speak with you. Um, but we have some other great partners. Um, we announced uh, a few weeks ago a very, very strong partnership with Microchip, 
which actually range uh, way beyond the 32 bits, even on smaller footprint. And, um, you know, we've been a longtime partner of Silicon Labs. Uh, uh, you know, our very first product uh, was uh, built on the Silicon Lab technology, Bob Assistant, which we discussed the last time, and uh, which is uh, installed in uh, hundreds or if not thousands of different uh, facilities in the world already. So it's, uh, and we are working with a few more. I cannot uh, share them today, but um, one will be announced with another big name not uh, in the near future. So yes, we, we keep working with a, a number of very, very large uh, companies. Uh, they come to us and uh, uh, they like our technology and uh, we like their power and uh, we can do great things together. Well, maybe we can talk about that in one of the future editions of We Talk IoT. This was Marc Dupacier, co-founder and managing director of Cartesium, a pioneer in the bringing artificial intelligence to the edge. Thanks for sharing your insights with us. Thank you very much. And now, one more thing. Vodafone has showcased a product recall system that allows manufacturers to notify consumers of faulty or potentially dangerous electrical appliances like tumble dryers, washing machines, fridges or freezers, and to shut them down remotely if necessary. Using Vodafone's Global Internet of Things platform, one of the world's largest of its kind, with more than 100 million connections, Vodafone's engineers have developed a system which uses a miniature electronic device, similar in size to the SIM card in your smartphone, which is installed in the appliance and can communicate over Vodafone's network. Manufacturers can notify consumers of potential issues with their appliances and disable them. Many large appliances are recalled worldwide every year, and serious defects frequently cause fires. The Vodafone Safety Alert Message Indicator, or SAMI, enables manufacturers to contact customers and warn them. This is especially important if the appliance is not registered to a postal address or has been resold. The manufacturer can also keep an audit trail, proving that messages were delivered successfully to their customers. The initial feedback of our system from fire brigades has been positive, said John Weberg, Vodafone Group's chief technology officer. This is especially important at a time when the number of electronic appliances per household is predicted to rise and we all spend more time at home due to corona. That was We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving, and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT.